From the world of AV programming and control with James King, I'm Steve Greenblatt, and this is Ask the Programmer. James, how are you today? I'm doing good, Steve, and yourself? I'm doing well. Um, uh, it's good to catch up and be back to discuss some more AV programming topics and um, always like to, to uh, do some things that you and I find in our daily lives. And, and recently, um, we were talking about how do we work with some some cloud-based systems or or some products that are, do auto updates. So they may change. And when you write code, we're typically used to writing code based on locking in a certain type of environment. But these days, we, we kind of live in a different type of environment where we, we have to very often deal with external systems. So um, I, I wonder if you want to either share an experience or, or have some thoughts about, uh, we, we can't really avoid these systems. So we're talking about, you know, maybe it's a UC system that's cloud-based. Maybe it's uh, also a third-party product like a, like a iPad or an Android that, that may be on auto-update. Um, you could come in one day and your system may work very differently, which also impacts how programming works, which could be, um, also be changing functionality and something could happen overnight that you don't expect. So um, uh, why don't we um, just just share a little bit of thoughts about that? So this is a good topic, uh, I feel, and timely too. Like we, we live in the world where everything is connected. Um, I think about almost all home appliances can go out to internet now so the thing is like you kind of hit on a topic or a, a section that I, i'm like not a fan of but i understand is auto updates auto updates are definitely good because that takes a task out of our hands and you know it just happens and it goes and you don't have to worry about it and you know i use that in quotes uh worry about it because we do have to worry about it it was like you said what if that update breaks something uh, what if it changed file systems or structures or something of the os that underlining our code requires or better yet a security update happens and that line of communication we use with a another application is now a risk and has been blocked. So it, I'm not a fan of auto-updates. Auto I actually, like, at home, I run auto-updates, but I always try to say on updates before the auto-update kicks in. But at work, I try not to run auto-update. I turn them off. and But that means now it's on me and my team to make sure we're updating and patching our system. And that, so that becomes a manual or a semi-manual process. I think, think everything you said there is really great. You framed it up in a very digestible form. Uh, and I would agree with you that it makes a lot of sense to, to control that. And I think that's what most people do in an IT world. They, 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 um, they lock down products. They lock down uh, versions. Um, you know, I think that's why 
a lot of people are still running older versions of Windows or Mac OS and or or iOS because they the those new versions need to be vetted and they need to be validated to work with all the different components that they interact with. And a lot of times the manufacturers who are working with those products are not really thinking about all of the external devices and systems and use cases for how their product is being engaged. And I think from our perspective, and if we're looking at programming, it could be very embarrassing and very frustrating when a client uh, does not have something like that in place because everybody wants the latest and greatest. So of course, the, when they say there's an update, they're going to say, give it to me because I want better than what I had yesterday. And um, and also we also have to talk about the, the ever-present security patches, as you mentioned, and holding back updates definitely can be a, the, the, the comp, the, the trade-off is that you may still have some, uh, compromised, uh, uh, situations there where, where your, uh, your, your product may be vulnerable. So it's, um, it's, t it's a tough call. It's a t tough situation to be in. And, and, um, it, it's something that everybody really needs to be cognizant of. And I think it's going to be more and more as we're interacting with, with cloud related, uh, products and systems. Oh, 100% agree. And I also think some of the hesitation of updating, in, at least in my experience on from mostly AV people, and I, I hate to pick on AV people, but it, and also I would say non-true IT people, because I still feel AV is IT, but that's a whole different topic there. Um, is the comfortability like if you look at upgrading your operating system in windows i've heard so many people go oh i don't want to go windows 11 or i don't want to go windows 10 or i didn't want to go xp because they're comfortable with what they were in and they the unknown is what they're not used to they're it's like oh i gotta learn a new way of doing things and now an update shouldn't really do that but unfortunately sometimes there are feature changes and yes, sometimes updates are bad and that's why we have to vet them. Um, that's where I keep preaching a whole sandbox environment where you do vet your updates and you vet it and make sure it works with the system. And that's also goes on our end. When we update code, we have to be mindful of the whole ecosystem that our code's running in. So not even that it, okay, I'm talking to the AV, equipment in a conference room or in a boardroom or a classroom but now if that av system's on the network is my code talking to a cloud server somewhere and if so is that a vulnerability um what happens if that cloud server changes apis what happens if that service goes down does that affect my code what happens if i update my code now does that break that connection so we not just our manufacturer but even us programmers have to think of the whole ecosystem and not be narrow into just what we deal with so that, that that's the million dollar question i guess what 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 are some things that we can do to i guess 
I mean, we're we're typically in in the position of cutting down risk and and trying to keep ourselves from getting in trouble or keep uh, users from doing things that are going to not get them the outcome that they're looking for. So, it, are there some things, some fail-proof ways of being able to prepare yourself or think ahead or be um, be adaptable? to what might happen in the cloud i i am or, or with with these you know changes in in products i i'm thinking it's very tough to predict that uh, you you kind of have to play a little bit of defense oh yes you definitely have to play defense and we're not going to be able to predict everything um so that's where having a good plan comes into place is it's almost like the like a lot of business or project roles, they do the 80 and 20% rule. The 80% is everything you know, 20% is what you don't know. You got to be prepared for that 20% of what's going to happen. You have no clue what's going to happen or any control over what happens in that 20%. So we can't sit there and go, okay, I know every feature that's going to happen, every um, bug or every error and address it we just got to be confident enough to know that when that 20 percent comes up we can tackle it and and i think one way of doing that is of course being able to roll back um that may or may not be uh an option in some cases sometimes when you go forward you can't go back and sometimes you have certain products or systems that just don't allow you to to um, to have that type of control uh, over uh, over what software they're running so excuse me i think um the, the key here is is to probably um, be aware communicate um, know your products know what you're working with um, be be able to to do things in a in a proven manner. Um, so I've seen some people that reverse engineer an API or they control uh, something in an undocumented way. And, and in those cases, you're taking that risk on. You're doing it on your own. And if if something breaks, the, you don't the, you can't point any fingers other than at yourself because you didn't follow best practices per se, or you didn't work with what a manufacturer has defined as the way that they are supporting. Um, but I, I think the the key element probably needs to be having a good dialogue with between the different players within making a system work, you know, whether it's a manufacturer, whether it's a, a uh, an integrator, a programmer, a, a, a technology manager, and and agreeing upon what what are we going to do when something like this comes up and um, you know, ha having some ways of, of like you said, let, let, let's make sure that we have um, a plan that in case something does happen, we have, we have uh, a, a way that we're going to handle it, a procedure. It's kind of, kind of like uh, when a server goes down, what, what do you do? Yeah. I, I mean, it's a quick note on that. I did write about a disaster recovery plan in my latest higher ed article. Uh, but actually I want to touch on something you mentioned there is communicating with other members and other 
folks. We have long lived in the time it's like, okay, I'm updating this code. I don't need to tell anyone except for, you know, the end user. I don't need to tell the network administrator. I don't need to tell the DBA. I don't need to tell uh, the firewall folks. But now we do. And so vice versa. We need also need to be approachable and understand what if a uh, system administrator comes to us and go, hey, we're going to update a new firewall rule. We got to know how that might affect our systems. Just like if we roll out a new code, we got to let them know that, hey, you might see this traffic on the network. So it, that communication, that language, that bond that I keep talking about with AV is IT, we need to be able to all communicate and all re understand each other. Is a AV programmer going to be a network engineer? No, but they should understand what happens on the network, especially if they're doing any IP control um, devices. Uh, are they going to configure a network switch? No, they're not. They shouldn't be. And they should be allowing the SME and the networking to do that. But like I said, they should be able to have a conversation with the networking team and say, okay, you're changing this VLAN. This is how it's going to affect my communication. Or, hey, the ACLs change on this network. We need to fix this because I need to talk across these VLANs. That's all a conversation that a programmer should be able to talk to with a network engineer. Just like a network engineer should understand, hey, if I make this VLAN change, there's potential that these equipments aren't going to work. Let me get with the AV programmer and make sure that it still works. Uh, those, I think we just uh, hit on about three more topics that we'll be covering in future episodes. <laughs> so stay tuned. Um, they, I think we, you, you couldn't have said that any better. And it, it really gives a lot of food for thought. And I, I'd be curious what our listeners think and, and how many people are doing these types of uh, procedures and, and, and thinking outside the box and being also, it, it speaks to the need to have a, a, a big knowledge base and programming, being a successful programmer isn't about just writing code. It's about knowing how your code impacts other things. And, and like you said, I mean, and so, so very well, the, the fact that it will, once you're on a network, you're in a shared space and everybody needs to play well together. And we also need to, we, we need, we need to get along with our neighbors, if you will. And, you know, that's why they, there needs to be rules that govern things and documents and they, everybody needs to, to uh, let, let the other parties know that they're there. I, th I think that that's really great. Um, I think probably we will have a further discussion on this. Uh, and, uh, and so I'd like to leave it at that. And so James, what can, how can people get in touch with you, uh, continue this conversation and, um, and learn more about what you're up to? Uh, as always, you can get hold of me on Sunday mornings at AB and AM. I do write uh, as a management for the higher ed digital magazine, the IT and AB column, anything um, with HEPMA, Again, you Google me, you'll find me. Awesome. And that's uh, uh, AV underscore James King on Twitter is, is uh, the best way to direct message James. And for me, you can reach me at Steve Greenblatt. And we'd, we'd like to hear from you. Um, so please do message us and and, uh, and we, we'd like some feedback. And we'd like to also know what what we're saying that resonates with you and what we, you're 
you're doing that we should know about. So uh, please do that. Um, you can reach me uh, also by reading some of my content on AV Network, uh, Commercial Integrator, my company at controlconcepts.net. And um, you can catch this podcast both on video and audio. So uh, on video, we're on YouTube and on audio, we're on your favorite podcast player. And please help us to share, share and spread the word. We have uh, a growing audience and we'd like to keep that continuing to grow and, and reach more people. So please let us know uh, what your favorite episode is and uh, do us a favor and post it for others to hear. And with that, this has been Ask the Programmer.